and I, I will just share because I think this is a big part of my story mm-hmm. is um, that was a massive turning point in my sobriety uh, because I found out that that my child was going to be disabled. My firstborn child was going to be disabled. And I, um, I, I almost instantaneously broke from the program. Hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends, you have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic. We are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to our podcast, Sober Speak. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform for the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any other 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest behind. On our episode today, you are going to hear from Mr. David E. That was that clip that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And, uh, David is going to talk to us about his uh, journey from a wannabe rock star to the fourth row back, third chair in, in an AA meeting, and all the twists and turns that it took for him to get to that point. So that's enough of that. Let's go ahead and dive into this episode. Hope you enjoyed Dave E. I sure did. Well, hello, everybody, and we are sitting here with Mr. Dave E. Hello, Dave E. Hello. Does anybody ever call you Davey? I just thought about that. <laughs> no. Uh, well, yeah, actually, my dad, my father calls me Davey. But is he doing it, I guess, your initial, your nope. last name? he calls okay. me Davey. A few folks from my past still call me Dave, just Dave. Yeah. All right. Well, we're glad you're here. So why don't you go ahead and uh, uh, identify yourself and give your sobriety date, if you choose, please. Right. My name is David E., and my sobriety date, my last drink was January the 1st of 1998. 1998. So, by the way, do you like to go by Dave or David? Either one. Either works. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm used to hearing your name as Dave, but I That's, also hear it as David as well. So. Either one's fine. I just want to be appropriate. <laughs> so, no Dave or David E. is sitting here with us today. Like he said, he's been sober since 1998. It's a miracle for guys like me and you, isn't it? No doubt. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I want to talk to you. We we had a really brief conversation before we started this, and uh, I was not planning on talking about it. I didn't even know about it. But you had mentioned, because I was kind of talking, I was talking to Dave about some of the, uh, the, the equipment and, you know, the sound that we have set up here in the Sober Speak Studios. Sober Speak Studios is a guest bedroom in my house. So we were talking about that, and Dave mentioned that he was in a band, which I did not know about. And so I kind of want to start there, and I'm assuming it probably contributed to some of your story and recovery. So what kind of band were you in, Dave? That has quite a bit to do with my story, actually. Uh, well, I started in the sixth grade when we had to make choices of what musical direction we were going to go. Uh, I was fascinated by the orchestra. So I started out actually playing classical music really? on, on the stand-up bass. 
Uh, and, and is that here in the, did you grow up in the Texas area? I did. I grew up in Plano, okay. uh, went to elementary school in Plano and then moved to McKinney in, uh, right during junior high in eighth grade. So I started playing the orchestra in sixth grade and, uh, I didn't think that was cool enough. So I took up the electric <laughs> bass, wanted to be a rock star and, uh, played that, uh, played in a couple of little cover bands in high school and what actually, cover bait what were you <laughs> the the first band i ever played in was called harmonic rage <laughs> and, and uh it was it, it was the 90s so we were i don't know we were we covered pearl jam and Soundgarden, your typical seattle scene and uh that was that was like uh the, is that called is that grunge and or that, yeah it's yeah, the like seattle that. grunge scene yeah. yep and uh the the drummer of that band actually had tried out for a metal band here out of Dallas and uh, they were looking for a bass player. And so I went and tried out for the band and got hired in my senior year in high school. Really? Yeah. So you were in a metal band in your senior year in high school. Were you doing gigs and stuff? Oh yeah. We played, we played all over Dallas and actually played a, a few shows with uh, the band Pantera, who was pretty big at the time. So uh, they, they had partial ownership really? of a club. Yeah. Yeah. I know Pantera. <laughs> yeah. So we played, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> That has a, a lot to do with my story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, my my senior year in high school, we were we were playing. We played oh, probably two or three times a month, and uh, the majority of our we didn't get paid. Well, we got paid to do some of the gigs, but the majority of them uh, at the end of the night, when it when it came to time to settle our bar tab, we actually usually ended up owing the bars money. So. <laughs> That was, uh, you know, I was I was 18 years old playing in a band and getting paid in booze. So it, Man, was, it was pretty awesome. Sounds yeah. like a dream job. Oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, I played uh, played a, a, all over. Well, over DFW area, a um, couple of shows in Oklahoma and a couple in Louisiana. Did you play original songs? Or were they? Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. We were. Yeah, we had uh, put out a couple of tapes at the time. Believe it or not, they still made those. And uh, yeah, so. I have I've been in a few recording studios. Okay, so I'm sure, like you said, there was a lot of drinking going on. Did, did you were you drinking before you actually joined the band? What, what age oh, did you yeah. start so drinking? I, I have uh, a band by no means their fault, but I have two older brothers, much older than I am. So they were doing the college years when I was in junior high, uh, and I was introduced to alcohol at a pretty young age. Uh, uh, I think the well the first time. The first memory I ever have of drinking alcohol, I was two years old, um, but that was, I stole a sip of my dad's Coors Light. And that's, wow, you can remember that at That's two. barely alcohol at all. Oh, yeah, I, I remember it very vividly. My dad lived in a house off of, uh, down in Lakewood, right off of White Rock Lake, and mm-hmm. I, I could still draw you a picture of the house. I I think, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I hear about blackout drunks, and, and uh, I also hear about people who forget their past, and I think one of my curses is I have too good of a memory i remember every little detail of everything i've ever done so right i'm not a <laughs> sometimes i wish i could forget yeah so. i had buddies in my high school that could remember they can remember everything i did mm-hmm. and the way they describe it i mean you could tell i mean this is very accurate and i'll go oh yeah i did that and so they're able to explain things to me that i was doing when i was crazy you're one of those guys just I an am. incredible I, memory I, I remember all the things but I, I can't remember dates to save my life it drives my <laughs> wife crazy <laughs> I rely on her for everyone's birthdays and anniversaries and such, so I'm terrible at that. But I, I have I have very vivid memories of my first drinking. Um, that was my first time I ever tried it. Uh, it was a weekend at my dad's house, but it was a 
sip of Coors Light. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you say a weekend at your dad's house, does mm-hmm. that mean that your were your parents? My separated? parents. My parents divorced when I was six months old. Yep. Good. And uh, my mom uh, lived in Plano. Uh, the, my my childhood home was in Plano, and then my dad lived in Dallas. Yeah, and for those of you who are listening in other areas, those are those are basically suburbs of Dallas that he's referring to mm-hmm. there. So okay, so um, so that was your first experience with mm-hmm. alcohol. Take me more maybe into the teenage years. What happened there? Uh, I started really drinking pretty heavily. Uh, I had. Uh, I had an identity problem as a kid. I was I was the little I was the youngest brother, and I always wanted to be like my older brothers, uh, and I always compared myself to them and wasn't as good as as them. Like, give me some examples. Uh, academically and athletically, both of my brother, both my older brothers, and I have a younger brother as well, uh, stepbrother. But uh, both of my older brothers were very gifted athletes growing up, and both very smart. Uh, just kind of naturally, things came to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, I had this identity thing as a kid, always trying to, to live up to who they were and, and be like them. And, uh, when I couldn't, uh, I found, I found cigarettes first. Uh, I will never forget that. My first experience with cigarettes was at, uh, was at Collin Creek mall in Plano. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's shut down now, but, uh, these, these really weird guys, uh, got onto the elevator. You could still smoke back then yeah. in, uh, in retail stores. Uh, and these two guys got on and they had on leather jackets and mohawks and studs in their jackets and all this. And they were just really, really weird. And one of the guys was smoking a cigarette and he had just been to the candy store and he opened up the bag of candy and asked me if I wanted a piece. And I thought those were the coolest dudes I'd ever met. <laughs> and so I, at that moment, uh, I tried to change my identity, I think. So really? yeah, I went home and I had a denim jacket and I ripped the sleeves out of it. Um, and, uh, tried to be somebody cool. I wasn't, yeah, just trying yeah. to be cool, you know? And, uh, yeah, so that was it. My first, um, my first major experience was that I started smoking cigarettes in about seventh grade. Uh, and I'm, and I met a girl in seventh grade. Her name was Jill and, uh, I will never forget Jill mad respect for Jill. Uh, she, she, uh, knew how to sneak wine from her mom's, uh, liquor cabinet <laughs> and uh, we we snuck out and had a cigarette and a couple of sips of wine before seventh grade uh, at uh, at my middle school, and then shortly thereafter, um, that was really just kind of a kicking off point. I think just trying to redefine myself and be somebody cool. And my mom and my stepdad at the time had talked about moving, getting away, and uh, so they had talked about moving out to McKinney to a different town about twenty miles away. And I saw it as an opportunity to just completely be who nobody else, nobody knew me in McKinney. I wasn't, I wasn't my big brother's little brother there. I was just myself. And so I jumped all over the opportunity. And uh, my first day of eighth grade, I, I looked for the guys that looked like they were the biggest trouble. And I decided to make them my friends. <laughs> And uh, lo and behold, one of those guys lived right across the street from the school. Struggle so we, up. Yeah, we used to. We used to take the bus in every day to school. We'd hop off the bus and run across the street to his apartment complex and raid his parents' liquor cabinet because both of his parents worked for the city and they were always gone. Uh, he, he woke himself up and took himself to school, but he just had to walk right across the street. So we would hop off the bus, go over there, and and start drinking before school. And, and that's kind of... That's where I took off. Was eight was really around eighth grade. Eighth grade. Yep. Okay. So eighth grade, you're uh, really kind of uh, getting into the drinking scene, if you will. Yeah, just trying to just trying to be cool. Somebody just trying to be somebody I wasn't. Right. Yep. 
All right, so take me a little forward from there. So, what, what, what between eighth grade and when you hit, when you hit the band, mm-hmm. I mean, were there any major happenings? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, like my parents, as I told you, were divorced, and uh, my mom and my stepdad and I always we had a rough time. We we never really connected. So, did you primarily live with your mom? I did. I spent my entire life with my mom until my sophomore year, and uh, my sophomore year of high school, I I went to live with my dad out in a tiny little town up and even further out uh and i mean it was i did not belong i had by that time i had uh decided to pierce my ears mm-hmm. and uh i had shaved my head except for the front i was i was really trying to redefine myself and my dad actually helped me uh dye my hair green he said if you want to look like an <laughs> idiot that's your business which uh which i will i love him for more than anything today because uh it helped me realize just what terrible decisions I can make. So I moved out with my dad um, and there was really nothing to do out in that little town except to get in more trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I, I continued and actually uh, what was really interesting. That was my first attempt at sobriety. I was 15 years old. Really? Yeah. I moved, I was in a little bitty town and I realized I had a serious problem uh, because I just, I, I, I drank and I smoked and I, I did whatever I put anything in my body. I could to not feel like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was constantly just trying to redefine myself as a young person. And, and I just wanted to be somebody, anybody that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so my new thing was back then cherry Pepsi was a thing. And I don't even know if it's still <laughs> an option anymore, but uh, I would go to the stores when all the other, there was a little, uh, little beer store um, right on 75 here on, and, and it's shut down now and rightfully so, but they would, they'd sell to anybody. And so we would all drive down to that liquor store and buy our beers. Um, you know, we would, I got into this weird phase that I, th- I thought that, uh, I thought that I was into malt liquor, so I used to buy 40s of malt liquor, uh, and they would sell us a case. I'll never, the case of malt liquor was 12 malt liquor bottles, and they would sell us 12 40s for 10 bucks. That was a great deal. Right. <laughs> that was a great deal. Uh, but but one weekend, we went down there, and I thought I just told my friends on our way down there, I was like, I'm, I'm going straight. I had seen, um, or I actually, I had heard about a party down in Dallas, and it was these kids called Straight Edge. It was this big thing where all these kids were you know, giving up booze giving up drugs giving up sex they were just everything they were doing was going straight edge and i i wanted it was something i wasn't so i wanted to try and be that right so uh i started buying six packs of cherry pepsi and taking them to parties and that lasted for a solid four months i think uh it's three or four months i went to parties every weekend and all it was everybody i mean i was still smoking cigarettes but i had my pack of cigarettes and my six pack of cherry pepsi and that's how i was going to be I was going to be straight edge for life. I almost got it tattooed on me, but I almost let a guy tattoo it on me with a guitar string. Thank God I did. Can you so, tattoo with a guitar string? Oh, sure. You can tattoo with anything that's sharp enough, and if you've got the right amount of ink, I guess. Uh, yeah, I almost let him. I almost let a guy tattoo straight edge for life on my arm. I'm so glad. So I did you that. got you. So speaking of some tattoos, you have some tattoos on there. Are there are any specific stories that you want to? Oh, uh, man, I am. I am covered head to toe, and actually. Actually, the majority of my tattoos I've gotten in sobriety. Really? Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, you all at home are not looking at Dave, but he's, I mean, it's like two, two, he's very, from the neck up, so to speak, uh, he's very uh, conservative, like, you know, kind of a, a straight edge. <laughs> we very boring. That's, yeah, that's very me, boring. Yeah. But then you see on his arms and such, uh, you know, he's got some tattoos. So I'm uh, about, I, I think I'm about 70% covered. Really? Oh, sure. Well, I'm and not going to show you. You're right. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're we'll welcome keep it at that. that. I trust you. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. most of them you've gotten in sobriety. Yeah, I got a few. So, like I said, that was my first attempt at sobriety. Um, <sighs> trying to get back to the tattoo store. So, I actually, I met a guy who was a tattoo artist that was that was in the program. Um, and this was after you got, this sober. was my second attempt. No, no, this oh. was my second attempt. So I, I attempted sobriety at, at 15 years old, uh, realized it wasn't for me. I wanted, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't escape me long enough being sober. So, uh, I, I started drinking and, and drugging pretty heavily after that. It, it really, it, it just kind of, you know, I've, I've always heard in meetings that when you take time off, it just kind of accumulates and, the progression. and, it, and it, it, it definitely progressed with me. It, it hit, uh, I, I I dove in head first and um so you know that was around fifteen. Started drinking again, um, moved back. I, I couldn't handle the small town living. It just was I did not fit in at all. Um and so I moved back in with my mom and my stepdad. Um lived there for my junior year and it, it was a it was a really rough time. We just we we do not we did not click. Uh my my mom and my stepdad have since divorced, but we just that's never been a very good dynamic there. So um my summer of my between my junior and senior year of high school, I started working at a country club. I was bussing tables at a country club and I met this dude that lived uh he was 22 years old. His name was Steven. And he lived in an airplane hangar uh, right out here at McKinney uh, Airport. And uh, his grandfather managed the airport and had taken uh, three or four of the units and actually converted them into homes on the inside. Uh And I was telling him about how much I was not a big fan of my home life and and, uh, just really looking for a way out. And he said, man, why don't you move in with us? So the summer before my senior year of high school, I moved out of my house and moved into an airplane hangar. And that was amazing. There, that was the <laughs> that was the ball. I was I was a very very popular guy my senior year of high school. I can <laughs> I can just put it that way. So uh yeah, I mean I mean that's there we're out in the middle of nowhere in an airplane hangar and I mean we we threw some through some amazing parties, but it it definitely I don't know that it escalated my drinking. Um, I think my my drinking was going to go whatever direction it was going to go, either way. But I it escalated my behaviors, which, mm-hmm. in my opinion, led to the escalation of my drinking. If that makes sense. Oh, it uh, does. Yeah. I had I was given far too many opportunities for a young person. Um, you know, I was in high school. Um, I, I was I was able to take advantage of friends of girls of whatever because of the opera. I mean, I I had my own place. I had mm-hmm. uh, I had all the freedoms that every kid thinks that they want, you know. Right. And uh, my rent was a is a hundred dollars total. That's all he wanted. And my bedroom my bedroom was actually the the door that opened for airplanes to come in. <laughs> so my bedroom was twenty feet wide by fifty feet long by with forty foot ceilings in it. It was pretty fantastic. I had indoor outdoor carpet in my bedroom. I had a water bed, a fireplace, my band. Your band. Uh, my yeah. band. We would Perfect. we would jam out of my house. I mean, it was uh it was it was pretty fantastic and led to really bad decisions so, yeah it was uh so um 
Yeah, so I lived there, and it got really. I, by that point, I had been hired into the real band, not the the cover band anymore. And so we were out doing gigs, and you know, I was I managed to graduate high school, which was pretty awesome. Wow! Uh, I will never forget my, uh, uh, you know, because believe it or not, this is, this will probably shock you, but I was actually a pretty intelligent young man. Um, I had uh, I had some. Uh, I had taken some equivalency tests and some scholarship opportunities. By to, the way, that doesn't shock me to, at all. <laughs> I had taken some tests um, in the seventh grade for Duke and actually gotten them. So um, I've, I've lost all that now. So, uh, you know, all, all of the IQ has somehow just evaporated. Oh, out of I don't know here, about but, that. Um, but my, my, the reason I say, I tell you that is because my principal my eighth grade principal actually followed us into high school so as as we left eighth grade and moved into to mckinney high school he went with us and i will never forget he called me in the first week of high school and said uh, hey listen i i know about your situation somehow it had gotten around that i yeah. moved out and i was living on my own he said look if you'll just try if you will just try i will make sure that you graduate high school you know and i did i tried as best i could but i mean i we were drinking at least six and a half out of seven days. I mean, we drank every day and, uh, there was no reason not to, you know, all my friends were older, had my own place. And, uh, but I got to walk the stage. Um, I did graduate McKinney high school, which was pretty awesome. Um, by that point, the band was going fairly well. So I had not applied to a single university. (laughs) I had done nothing as far as college was concerned. Um, I had blown off all those opportunities. I was just, uh, I was determined at that point in my life to be a rock star. So that's where I was headed. I'd grown my hair out and dyed it purple and pierced my nose. And (laughs) I'd gotten, I had, uh, by that point, I think I had two or three tattoos. So you're gonna be a rock star. Oh, that was it, man. I was I was bound and determined. All right. So at some point, I'm assuming the rock star thing took a turn, or it I took mean, a major turn. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're uh, when you're an alcoholic like I am, and they're paying you in booze, there's no reason not to just stay drunk all the time. And that was what happened. Uh, I never practiced. I never. I, I was I was there strictly for the attention. I mean, that was it. I I wanted to be a rock star just so that people, you know, I like I said, for my whole attention. life I was trying to define myself. So mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted to be famous. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I think people don't pay attention to in music is it's hard work, and you got to, I mean, uh, gigging whether it's local shows or traveling right. at all, any of that, and you got to practice. It's mm-hmm. it's like athletics or business anything that you do you have to constantly hone your craft or or you stand no chance and i I never did i would show up for gigs i would plug in i would play to the best of my ability but it it was pointless because all i did i was more interested in drinking and girls and that kind of stuff wasted potential right uh maybe probably probably a blessing in disguise (laughs) honestly but yeah it was uh yeah i I, everything that i had worked for and Mm -hmm. and gathered in music i just i let it all go and actually uh, one of the things that happened when I when I actually got sober was I sold everything I own. I don't own a single piece of musical equipment. Really? Yeah. My oldest son is very musically talented. He doesn't do much with it, but he he tinkers around with several instruments. Mm-hmm. But um, I think he may have gotten that from me. I'm not sure. Um, but I have I have no musical. Uh, instruments whatsoever well maybe one day you'll pick it back up again sometimes sometimes my family is, is in the pawn business and every now and then i'll go by the pawn shop and pick up a base and start uh-huh. slapping on it but yeah i don't, I don't know 
We'll see. I like to leave the past where it is. <laughs> it may be better. I don't regret it, but I'm glad it's back there. So okay, so take me a little forward. Then. Sure. So you. So I don't know what year was that when you were, you know, like graduating high school. Uh, I graduated all... high school in '94. Okay. Um, start. So con- you had four more years of drinking after that. Then. I did. I did. I. Um, so I, I moved. I, I actually got kicked out of that band. Um, they made a decision that, I mean, and, and rightfully so, I was I was contributing nothing to it. So mm-hmm. um, they kicked me out of the band, and I moved into a house down uh, down in Dallas, down on Lower Greenville. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I had I moved in, and um, well, nobody knows who these people. Uh, uh, so I moved in with a drug dealer, yeah. um, three strippers. <laughs> Two cocktail waitresses from the strip club and two musicians who were dating two of the strippers and a guy in the program. That was the first. There was a a dude that lived there that was a bartender, and he was the first guy I'd ever met that I had really met in AA. Um, And he talked to me. I mean, he hung out in that environment, but I always watched how he – I only managed to live there about 40 days before I couldn't handle it anymore. Um, but, uh, I tried out for a couple of other bands, uh, got, I got hired into one and then decided I just, I couldn't do it at that time. I knew I needed a change in my life. And I'd met this guy that was in the program and he, he talked to me about getting clean and about what it had done for him. Um, and I thought, man, I, I got to make some changes. And so that was uh, 1995 and I packed up everything that I could and I moved to Oregon uh, my oldest brother. Really? Yeah, I just I wanted. To and, or did you just like pick that off of a map? No, or? my oldest brother oh. uh, had and his wife um, at the. So my my oldest brother and his wife went to school here, went to university here at Texas A and M, and then uh, she decided she wanted to go to law school, and they were just kind of wanting to get away and do something different. That's and a they, great area of the country. Uh, it's fantastic. So they moved up there ultimately for her to go to law school, and that was twenty eight, whatever that was, years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. They've been up there ever since. They they've never come home. Wow. So they've they've had two children, raised them, and have sent both off to college. And um, but I I just I called my brother up and I said, man, I need some help. I, I'm I'm in bad shape. And uh, he said, well, come up here. They were dirt broke. I mean, they lived in a little two bedroom apartment in Salem, Oregon. They were putting her through, um, through law school. Mm -hmm. And my brother is an architect and he had gotten a job at some architecture firm up there, but they were scraping by. And he said, just come up here, man, we'll, we'll figure it out. So he's always, I mean, that's, that's just, he's, you know, like I said, I spent my whole life trying to be like him. So, um, that's the kind of guy he's always been. And so I packed up and I moved to Oregon. Uh, I threw everything that I had into a Suzuki Samurai. Uh, I jammed it full, and one of my close friends, uh, girl, made the trip up there with me just so I didn't have to drive it by myself. And uh, we drove all the way from Dallas to Salem, Oregon, in a Suzuki Samurai, and it was absolutely miserable. It was horrible. And I uh, moved in with my brother, and shortly thereafter... What time of year? It wasn't summer, was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was dead of oh, summer. Oh, it was summer. Oh, oh yeah. No, no. I mean, we had, I'd had air conditioning, if you want to put air quotes around that. But um, So we drove all the way up there. Um, like two weeks later, uh, one of the guitar players in from my old band, uh, you know, I was, I was freaking out. I didn't know what to do. I knew I needed to clean up, and I was, I, I was white-knuckling it. I still... He... The bartender from the house had told me about the program, but I was I was thinking, man, I'm, I'm so young. I'm just young. I'm too young. I don't. I'm too young to get sober. That was my idea. Right. You know, I can't. All I need. To, I just got to quit drinking. I got to right. get it figured out. 
So it may be a change of environment. So I move up to Oregon, um, get a phone call. One of the guitar players who was a, still a good friend of mine, um, had gotten in a horrible car wreck. So I looked for every reason I could to come back to Texas. I, I saved up, uh, my brother actually scraped together a couple of bucks and bought me a bus pass and all my stuff's now up in Oregon. I'd make the bus trip all the way back to Texas to see, to see my buddy. I think I went and saw him one time at the hospital, right? It was just, it, I was freaking out. That was the, that was the reality of it. Um, however, two of my best friends, including the girl that made the trip with me, um, that, that helped me get up there to Oregon, um, they, they were same boat. They were just, they were not as bad as I was by any means, but they were looking for a new life. And so the three of us spent the next three months saving up our pennies and we all moved back to Oregon again. <laughs> again, I've made that trip six times and I don't, I don't recommend that. Um, <laughs> So moved back to Oregon again, still trying to clean up my life. By, by then I had started drinking again, but I was controlling it. You know, that was my whole thing. I'm just going to, I'm going to pay attention to what I do. I'm going to control it. And, uh, we will control and enjoy our drinking. That's it. Right? I, I did everything that I could to be a normal kid. I mean, I, I wasn't even of drinking age yet. I still, I'm still not of drinking age and I just wanted to be a normal drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, but but my two friends and I moved back up to Oregon and we got a little place and um, I, I was doing all right I, I did all right for a while and then um, I really don't know I, I got into the restaurant business it was comfortable up there and and I had started drinking and partying pretty heavily and actually my my older brother came back over again and it was for my birthday uh, my birthday's in late August and he said uh, oh we just missed ways no no it's coming up it's here coming up. yeah it's, yeah it's next, what's your birthday next Saturday August 26th uh, well happy yeah. birthday by, hey, by the way by the time you uh, hear this we may be we'll be past that. it oh, yeah, okay, yeah well yeah, that's but... fine um, so my brother actually came over I invited my brother over to the house um, it was it was a very lonely birthday party but it was myself my two roommates and my big brother and he had never seen me drink. Well, he had seen me. That's not true. He had seen me drink because I had uh, I actually, I'll, I'll rewind very quickly and then I'll move past it. But I actually had my first bit of alcohol poisoning when I went to see him. Uh, my little brother and I, uh, in about a 30 minute span, took down a, a bottle of tequila while my brother went to pick up his girlfriend at the time, who, who's now his wife. Uh, he left the house to go get her, and while he was gone, my little brother and I managed to take down an entire bottle of tequila. <laughs> so that was my first bit of alcohol poisoning. Um, That'll do it. Yeah, since then, you know, and my, my brother had never seen me drinking other than that, but I asked my brother to come over and just hang out with me while I drank. I don't know, still don't know why to this day. Um, and uh, I sat in that apartment and drank with my two roommates and my brother. He had a couple of drinks, but my brother's completely no, never, I don't, he may have been drunk three times in his life. I really mm-hmm. don't know. Um, but he watched us drink. He watched me drink and smoke cigarettes. And I could just kind of tell that it was a disappointment. Um, I don't know if it was disappointment, just concern. He right. was, he was just worried about his little brother. And, uh, he told me that day, he said, man, you know, I told him, I said, I think I need to quit drinking. I think I've got some problems. I need to quit drinking and smoking. And he said, I tell you what I'll do is it's, it's the end of August. If you can make it through the end of the year and I'm going to, I'm going to take your word for it. If you can make it through the end of the year without drinking, I'll give you a hundred dollars. And, you know, he was still struggling and trying to, to, to make his way there in Oregon and a hundred dollars to me at the time was a ton. Right. And so I took the bet and, and I, I was going to, I quit smoking cigarettes and I quit drinking until January the 1st. And I will tell you that, so my birthday is August 26th. And I think from August 27th until January or till December 31st, 
all I thought about was what I was going to spend that hundred bucks on. Right. And it was going to be booze and cigarettes. Right. But I did it. I stayed sober for, for that entire time. And I did not smoke one cigarette. Um, and on, on January the 1st, um, I was drinking and smoking as if I had never quit. Right. And so, um, that was my, I guess, my second attempt at sobriety. Yeah, your second, your <laughs> second attempt at it. Okay, let me just do this little break here. Yeah. We'll continue our conversation with Dave in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. Uh, there you'll find, uh, I don't know, 30-ish or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if you're moved to do such. Uh, please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. SoberSpeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Davey. All right, so you've gone through your second attempt at sobriety. This yep. is probably 1996, 1997. 96. Right? 96, all right. Mm-hmm. So take me from 96 to 98 if you can. And, yep. uh, I'll get there pretty quickly. So 96, I uh, my, my same roommate, my one of my best friends from high school, um, he introduced me to a girl. I met a girl in Oregon, and uh, there's always girls. There's always girls. There's always a girl, (laughs) and uh, he he introduced me to a girl, and uh, I mean, it was love at first sight. We were crazy about each other, and um, and pretty instantaneously, we we just knew it was it was meant to be, right? And um, so, lo and behold, I meet this girl in Oregon. She introduces me to two guys that are that are about to start a new band. Um, I go try out for the band because they're looking for a bass player. I got hired into the band. Awesome. Very excited. They tell me right after that, hey, great news. We're moving to Texas. Uh, We've got a couple of gigs already lined up in (laughs) Austin. So we're going to Texas. Um, So I pack up this little girl. She's 19 at the time. Um, But again, we're madly in love and it's going to last forever. Right. What were you probably? 22, 23? I was uh, was 20. I was about to be 21. Okay, gotcha. It's still not of drinking age yet. (laughs) <laughs> but drinking like crazy, I mean, just, and we got a few gigs down in Austin. Uh, we ended up moving to Austin, got a few gigs in Austin. The band dissolved almost, I mean, instantaneously. It was a, it was a nightmare. There was uh, the three of us living in a four bedroom apartment. And one of the rooms was our practice studio. And it was, it was a nightmare and she was instantly homesick. So she and I moved back to Oregon. Um, and, uh, I I'd somewhat settled down by then. Cause I thought I was all grown up. You know, I thought oh, this is the girl I was going to spend the rest of my life with mm-hmm. and all this mess. Anyways, uh, come home from work one day and she said, We're, I'm too young for this is stupid. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not ready for this. I love you, but I'm, I'm not ready for this. And, uh, I thought, well, I, I didn't know what to think. Um, I actually called one of my best drinking buddies from high school and uh, he and I had been friends since junior high. And he said, man, that's awesome. Great news because we're buying a house in Austin. So now I'm back in Oregon at this time. He's telling me to move back to Austin. Uh, saved up my pennies and that's what I did. <laughs> I moved. <laughs> I moved Again, I, I was the guy. I, I am your classic case of if I'll just change my environment. Geographic uh, changes. Yeah, that's it. If I, mm-hmm. if I can just do that or if I can just figure out what's wrong with me, I'll be fine. You know, I identify myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I moved to Austin. I'm now single. Don't care. This is July of uh, 1997. So okay. right before I had gotten sober, 
uh, I moved down there and it was, uh, I mean, it was pedal to the metal. It was, it was four or three of my best drinking buddies from high. I mean, we had partied together all through high school, all at the airplane hangar. These are guys that I had made some really bad decisions with my whole life. Um, one of the guys I'd known since third grade and now we're all living in a house in South Austin and the guy to our, like off of Riverside. No, we were down, we were down on the alphabet streets. Um, I lived on Harley Hill lane. That's all I remember. And, um, it was uh, south of William Cannon, so okay, right. far south Austin. Mm-hmm. The guy that lived, if you're facing our house, the guy to the left of us was just an old hippie pothead, and he said, I don't care what you guys do. You know, I don't care. if Just invite me over to your parties. <laughs> um, and then two houses down from us was, I, I mean, it. <clears throat> I, I know that God does things in funny ways. I, I believe that wholeheartedly, but this was, this was almost like so funny. It was tragic. It was a, a sober house for young girls two houses down from mm. us and the all of the girls in there were recovering heroin addicts mm. that, that's a horror those those poor girls is i mean it, it was a it was a horrible thing <laughs> and but we threw parties and these girls would sneak out almost every night oh. and it was it was it was terrible right um I, I came home for christmas break that year i was i was still attempting i had attempted to go back to college i was going to community college and taking some courses um the only problem was at that time I was still in an identity crisis, and I thought that I wanted to somehow go into ministry. Um, what so, kind of ministry? So, and I know a <laughs> little, yeah, so the funny we, we, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we just took a corner there, well, I did, turned sure. a corner. Most of my so, life So, you know, and I know, just because of some other people that you know, that I know, sure. I know you were, you were involved in some churches here in the area growing up. I right? was, okay. yeah, I was, uh, I was involved um, with some other members of our group, Um I did lots of mission work as a child, um, as a young person. I uh, used to travel down to Juarez, Mexico, and and build houses and churches down there. And it was it was a huge part of my life. I mean, all all through the the weirdness and the identity crisis, I never had a God issue. Uh, I always knew there was a God. I just um, I, I I didn't know how to define him or her either. Uh, I was I was born and raised uh, Methodist, which is barely religion at all, you know. But <laughs> I come I come from uh, my grandmother was diehard Southern Baptist. My little stepbrother that I mentioned earlier was is Jewish or was Jewish. He's he is uh, recently converted to Christianity. But uh, and then Ooh, one that's of my, an interesting story. I'd like to hear, but that's not your story to tell. Not my so. story to tell. <laughs> I'll leave that. Um, and one of my closest elementary school friends was Muslim, and so I was always conflicted. I did not know. You know, I had I had my grandmother telling me that unless I accepted Jesus, I was going to hell, and so unfortunately, so was my little brother. Um, oh yeah, and and so you know, and and yet. Um, I had I had some amazing people around me that were that came from all different religions and and cultures in general and so I was always conflicted on that. Um I was always fascinated though by religion. Mm-hmm. Um so you asked what uh, what in theology what I didn't know. That was another problem. I I came to a, a real uh crossroads there because I was fascinated by the history of religion. Um but I I Just the to this day at 42 years old I can't I can't pick. I can't tell you what side to go to. I just can't. Um, 
Okay, so I got you yeah. off track there. So you, no, no. so you were considering. Uh, so now you're you're thinking about ministry. I, I'm well. I'm considering it. Right. The problem is, is that I didn't know what direction to go. And my my father, uh, my whole or was a was a school teacher. Um, and and basically, I had a conversation with him, and he said you can either go into the ministry or teaching. That's really your only options if you're going to to pursue a theology degree. You can you can pick one of the two. That's mm-hmm. kind of and and I didn't know which direction I wanted to go in ministry. I I I didn't I didn't I, I couldn't define that, and so I didn't. I had zero passion for that. I really only had passion for the history of it, and I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. There was it just was not for me. <laughs> uh, and I don't I don't know that anybody wants to look at this up at the pulpit on Sunday morning. So, um, <laughs> you know I. And at one point during school, I had come to a point and I went back up to re-register and they essentially told me, you're not getting any more college credits until you start. And I didn't want math or I didn't want any of that mess. <laughs> There's, I had no use for math or sciences or any of that stuff. And so I, I dropped out of school. I, I just decided I was done with school. Um, I, at the time, I was working as an auto mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, I had left the, the food business and gone into turning wrenches and... Um, I was doing fairly well at it, um, and I came home for Christmas break of 1997. I, I came home for a little while, and uh, again, trying to figure out who the heck I was. And um, it was it was a really necessary and yet a really weird journey for me because I came home, and uh, all of these people that I had not seen in years because I had traveled to Oregon and Austin and all these places – all of these people from my past, um, you know, ex-friends, ex-girlfriends, ex all these people that I had kind of made my purpose in life um, were around. And I went on this this crazy bender um, over Christmas. I, I started drinking uh, December 22nd uh, of 1997. And again, I unfortunately have very vivid memories of all of it. Um, I came across six ex-girlfriends that I professed my dying love to, they were it for me, all six of them somehow. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but, uh, and some, some friends that I had, uh, that was actually, I guess my first attempted at amends. I didn't even know what it was like, but I was trying to mend all these fences with all these people that I knew that I had kind of wreaked havoc on, um, and taken advantage on of, uh, throughout the years. And, Started drinking December 22nd, drank all the way through New Year's Eve and went on this, this crazy, just, I mean, it was, it was, uh, really bad decisions were made and I'm really glad that I'm still alive. Um, from the, really, we started drinking on about the 30th, but reason I tell that story is I got, I drove out, drove out to my dad's house out in the country that I, that I lived at for one year, drove all the way out there, um, fell face first on the couch um, at about five thirty in the morning, and it was literally like something out of a movie. As soon as I fell asleep, my dad flipped on the light, said, "Okay, guys, are you ready to go?" And I had forgotten that we had plans to go to a football game, the Cotton Bowl, um, college football game that morning. It was New Year's Day, January the first, um, and so I didn't even shower, nothing. I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Um, cause that's what I had somehow, I guess I'd gotten changed into these. My dad said, it's going to be pretty cold. You might want to put on something. No, I'm going to be fine. 
I'll know. I remember that game very vividly. It was horrible. <laughs> Worst experience of my life. We actually left because the team that we were rooting for was getting destroyed. Who was, it was, who uh, was my whole family is the Aggies. Okay. My gotcha. whole family went to a and Well, majority of my family went to Texas A&M and they were playing Tennessee that day. Gotcha. And uh, Tennessee was known for their massive Samoan line and they just destroyed A&M that year. <laughs> so we left in about the third quarter. Um, but prior to that, um, my cousin is who I we drove. We were driving down to the game, um, and uh, between my legs was a case or a twelve pack of Miller Lite, and it had been sitting back there for a while, I guess. And uh, I was, you know, I was kind of starting to feel a little funny, and so and my cousin said, "Man, if you want it, if you want one, you can have one." Uh, and I cracked open a Miller Lite, and I was drinking it. I will, I will never forget this. Uh, I was, I was about three sips into that disgusting warm Miller light and we are driving down, uh, interstate 30 in Dallas headed to the cotton bowl. And I rolled down the window and threw it out the window. And that's the last drink I've ever had in my life. And I didn't know it was the last drink. I just knew that I, I I couldn't, I couldn't even swallow it. I couldn't handle it anymore. And I had more disgusting things than warm Miller light in my body, but I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, I threw that uh, I threw that beer out, so I apologize for the littering. But I threw that <laughs> I threw half of a Miller Light out on on Interstate 30. I wonder what the statute of limitations. <laughs> I is. have no idea. Hopefully, this is, this, this is you want not me to bleep a, that out yeah, of the yeah, story please, just in case. Yeah, just, just just bleep out the Interstate <laughs> number. Um, so went to the game, left afterwards. Uh, my my cousin and my uncle and my little brother had a couple of drinks or had a drink a piece, but I, I just I couldn't do it. Uh, and again, I didn't know that was my last drink, but I, I, that was January the 1st, uh, January the 3rd, I drove back to Austin cause I was moving back there and I was preparing myself the whole way. I drove a little 1984 Toyota pickup, barely had air conditioner in that as well. <laughs> You've upgraded uh, from oh, yeah, Suzuki substantially from the Samurai, um, <laughs> uh, drove back to Austin and I was practicing the whole way how I was going to talk to my roommates and tell them that I needed to change. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I I had to make some changes. Um, I walked in the door of the house on Harley Hill and uh, one of my buddies, uh, the guy that, that primarily owned the house, he said, uh, I I walked in and he got, he he met me at the door and he said, man, here's the deal. I'm going straight. He said, I've quit drinking. I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous. I've kicked out the other two guys um, they were growing weed in their um, closets anyways. But he said, I've kicked those two guys out. They're done. And I, there's two guys that have moved in. They're both in the program. And if you want to stay, you're welcome. And if you don't, that's cool. You can go. <laughs> wow. I mean, that he met me. at the, So I had practiced this whole speech about how I needed to change my life. And, you know, like God's God's a funny dude. But I walk in and that, that <laughs> was what I was greeted dude. with. And so... Um, I said, cool, man. I, and he's like, well, we're, as a matter of fact, we're going to a meeting tonight. Uh, there are eight o'clock meetings. Said, you want to go? Had January. you heard of AA before? I mean, I'd heard of it. I'd seen it in the movies. I knew what all you weirdos were into. Right. You know, y'all smoke <laughs> cigarettes and drink coffee at night. I've always, always, I still don't understand that one, but that's okay. Um, no, I didn't, I didn't go to a meeting. I said, no, it's cool. I'm just, uh, I appreciate it, but it's cool. These two guys come downstairs. Um, well, I, Terrence and Mike were their names, and they've, they've over the years given me permission. Mike was actually my first sponsor, and uh, he said, they, "They, hey man, we're going to a meeting. You want to go?" I said, "No." The way that I was going to get clean was I had discovered um, NHL '92 on um, 
on uh, Sega Genesis. I, I, I was gonna I was gonna get sober through video games. That was how I was gonna spend my nights. <laughs> I was going to go to work all day, and then at nighttime I was going to play video games and just and just hole up in the house. You're right, just. Occupy your time. That was how I was going to do it. And every night they would come down. Hey, man, we're going to a meeting. You want to go? No, I'm good, man. Thanks. Okay. We'll see you later. And they would leave, you know, about 730 Mm -hmm. because the meetings there were from eight to nine. They would leave about 730 and they would come home about midnight, one o'clock every night. And I was like, man, what are y'all? What are y'all out doing? And then finally, Mike came down on January the 7th was my first meeting. He said, we're going to a meeting. You want to go? I said, no, I don't. I don't think so, man. Same thing. I was right there playing my video games and he said uh he said man you really should go with us uh, you're probably not an alcoholic but you should go with us <laughs> just go hang out with us afterwards yeah. we go get coffee it's cool we go down to sixth street which is where everybody used to go party but he's oh, like, there's yeah, a cool little sixth coffee street. shop down on mm-hmm. sixth street we go down there and that's we, we just hang out man we play uh backgammon and chess and i was like that sounds really stupid <laughs> but i'll go i'll go I'll go to a meeting, and uh, I went to uh, I went to my very first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on January the seventh. My sobriety date's January one, but I went to my first AA meeting on January the seventh of nineteen ninety eight. Um, and I walked into this little house in South Austin. Um, we walked right through the house into the backyard. Everybody's out there smoking cigarettes, <laughs> and uh, I, you know I was still smoking at the time. And um, I go in, and and I I will you know it's funny again my 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 pointless memory is I, I still remember the exact seat I sat in mm-hmm. fourth row back third chair in. I will never forget it. And the reason I did is because I knew that I was going to have to get up and go smoke a cigarette. Cause this was going to, I don't like crowds of people. I've, I've never been a, a crowds of people guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that I was going to have to escape at some point, but I needed to remember cause I didn't want to look like a fool when I walked back in. Right. So fourth row back, third chair in, I sat down, I counted it, and they went around the room and introduced themselves. And it came to me, and and Mike, who, again, Mm -hmm. became my first sponsor, said, you don't have to introduce yourself. You can just say, my name is David, and I'm happy to be here. And I said, okay. And it came around to me, and when it did, I said, my name is David, and I'm an alcoholic. And I I mean, I just instantly started sweating, and I started tearing up. And uh, Mike, I'll never forget it. Mike looks over at him. He's got real long, curly, kind of greasy hair. He was a carpenter, dude. Looks over at him and he goes, yeah, you are. <laughs> and I, I, I will, I'll never forget it. And we went around, you know, meeting, uh, meeting went really well. Tons of people came up to me afterwards. Hey, man, really glad you're here. I, I'd gotten a desire chip. Um, really glad you're here. It's awesome, man. Hopefully we'll see you tomorrow. And I thought, holy crap, I, I, I found, I, I, I found my place. It was the first time I had gone, I had, I had claimed to be something and I, and it actually felt real. I mm-hmm. knew that I was an alcoholic and I, this is my problem. And that night, uh, we went to the coffee shop, uh, played a game of chess with Mike. He down destroyed on Sixth me. Street. Yep. Down on sixth street, mm-hmm. little coffee shop on sixth street. Mike destroyed me in chess. And, uh, <laughs> as we were talking, he said, man, if, if you want to come go back tomorrow, we'll do it. I'll go with you. And so I did. And that night, um, at that, during that meeting, while we were sitting there, I leaned over and whispered to him. I said, man, I think I need you to be my sponsor. He said, you got it, man. We'll, we'll do it. And he, I mean, he buried my nose in the book and we went through it and I, I hate to read. It's like, it's one of my top three least favorite things to do. <laughs> right. I, I just don't like it. I understand. My, my brain doesn't keep up. That's the problem right. is it, it just wanders. Um, but he told me to read this book. He said, read this chapter, you know, um, read, read Bill's story, doctor's opinion, and then we'll talk tomorrow. And the, he lived, I mean, he was my roommate. He lived right next to me, but he, he treated it like sponsorship, which was really cool. 
and uh we sat down and we wrote all in that book and 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 uh we we just we started going nuts man i mean he went he went full bore into the book with me and and i had found my place uh it was a, it was a really cool deal and uh on january the 30th <laughs> this is uh on january the 30th the other guy that was living with us came in and goes man we're going to a new group found a new group and i had just gotten accustomed to this little group oh little, no little tiny house in south austin he goes we're going to a new group i was like man i don't know and he goes they've got tons of hot chicks <laughs> i said okay that's a good <laughs> sell right. i mean i'm at i'm at a solid 30 days sober right I, I must be ready for that but well that was why he said we've got to go over to this other group um they've got all the hot chicks in south austin Oh no! I think I know what's coming next. Yeah, it turns out they were right. So um, I walked into to the meeting of of AA, and I walked. Uh, I, I, it was this place was massive. I mean, it fat, it fit like three times the amount of the little house that we went to, right? And uh, I walked in, and uh, I was the last thing that I was looking for at that time was girls because I had finally realized um, that where I belonged and that this was my group of people. And, um, yeah. And I, I, I happened to, uh, walk right past this amazing girl with, uh, I, again, stupid memory is she was wearing maroon combat boots, <laughs> skin tight jeans with holes in the knees, uh, a horizontally striped <laughs> t-shirt, her hair straight down, brown, straight hair coming out of a ginger man, uh, baseball cap. <laughs> and I thought, a ginger man ginger man it's a What's it's it? a bar in dallas oh, okay gotcha. yeah it's a bar in dallas that she actually used to work at so i walked past her and i thought well that's that's just about the most amazing thing i've ever seen <laughs> and uh the the very next night we were at a uh mike and i pulled up in my toyota um in front of in in front of the meeting hall i'll, I'll leave the other part out but in front of the meeting hall and uh there's this girl, same girl standing out there. She's in this ridiculous red dress with her hair all curled up. And, and I, well, I can't leave it out. I have to be honest is I thought based on the way she was dressed that she, that she might not be interested in boys. (laughs) And I thought that that was unfortunate uh, because I thought she was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. And, uh, but turns out, turns out she's in this amazing red dress and this guy comes walking out in a suit. And walks over to her and kind of puts his arm around her. And I thought, well, fantastic. And I told Mike that day, I said, I don't know who that girl in the red dress is, but I'm going to marry her. And he said, man, you're an idiot. You got no shot with that girl. <laughs> I said, well, I, that's fine, but I'm going to find out who she is and I'm going to marry her. And uh, yeah, and uh, turns out I did. So <laughs> I so, was right. So how long was it before you guys? So Febu- February the 2nd, um, we were at the, at a, at the meeting. Yeah. And afterwards, everyone was standing around. I hope she's cool with me. Yeah, she's fine with me sharing this. We were, everybody <laughs> was standing we'll around out. after the meeting. And uh, <laughs> she is, to this day, a huge fan of movies. And um, we were trying to figure out something different to do after the meeting. And she said, hey, let's go to a movie. Back then, you had to look up the movies on the, in the newspaper. Right. So there's a 1015 tonight. Let's go to that after the meeting. And every, a group of us, there's about eight or 10 of us cool we all piled in her suburban after the meeting she had this gigantic ugly gray suburban but we called it shamu it was fantastic it fit everybody <laughs> shamu the yep. suburban <laughs> and we all piled in her suburban drove to the other side of austin because that's 
where the movie theater was. And, uh, anyways, we get out and we said, um, uh, we're here for the 10, 15 movie. And the lady said, Oh, it's a misprint. It was actually 10, 15 oh. this morning. <laughs> I'm thinking, ah, I mean, I, here was my shot. Right. And, uh, anyways, um, yeah. So, uh, everybody's like, you know what, forget it. Let's just go home. Well, and myself and the guy that I lived with that, that not my sponsor, but the guy, my best, my, my, my good buddy that I grew up with, um, he and this girl and I went she's like, well, I'm, I'm hungry. Well, let's go get some dinner. So we went to this little Mexican food place in South Austin. And, um, yeah, that was, I guess, officially a kind of our first date. That was it. So we were, we were sitting around talking. Did you take Shamu to get there? We did. We drove, uh, we drove Shamu there and she lived in a little apartment in South Austin. And he said, um, we were talking about relationships and all that. And it was, it was the first time I'd actually gotten honest about a relationship. You know, I was trying not to be silly and cheesy and pick up line-ish. And, um, I told her because I had the girl uh, from Oregon and I had split up. Obviously I came back here to, to Texas and, and I said, you know, the main thing that I miss about um, a relationship is just being able to hold and snuggle somebody. This was the greatest pickup line in the world. If you ask me, but <laughs> my now wife said, well, you can come over to my house and snuggle me. And so I went over to her house and we laid on the couch and we watched movies. And that was our first date. Was it accidentally because we did not get to go to a movie and we have, Save one or two days. We have been together ever since. So, How about that? Yeah, I went to. Uh, and so that when did you all end up getting um, officially married? Uh, we got married on August the fourth of two thousand. And so I want to talk about your. I know you have a couple of kids. I right? do. Okay. So tell me just kind of uh, just tell me about your kids real quick because uh, anyway I just want to yeah. hear about that. Sure. Um, typical AA relationship, right? We had one or two great dates and we knew it was official. So, I mean, we, we literally, I, I talked to my sponsor cause I was very young in sobriety. Um, she did the same. She had nine months, uh, more than I do, or she has nine months more than I do. Um, does she rub that in sometimes? No, not at all. She, <laughs> she actually, she feels really bad about it. Cause she thought she said that the way that I talked, she would have never guessed I was a newcomer. Um, and so she thought I had my stuff together and she's still figuring out. I don't, but, um, anyway, so we both asked our sponsors and both of them were, were real honest with us. You know, it's, it's very dangerous thing. If you put, if you put either one of you before you put God or sobriety, you're both in trouble. And, um, uh, so we took that very seriously. Uh, I think both of us did. Um, and so we, uh, we started dating, we moved in together. Uh, we were both from the Dallas area and we moved back here to Dallas. Um, right at, I had right out a year sober when we moved back and, um, we had kind of started a life together. We'd already decided we were going to get married, but we were trying to figure out how to go about that. And, um, on August the 10th, of 1999 which is her birthday mm-hmm. august 10th is her birthday um i called her on a lot her of birthday. stuff happening in august lot, in i mean family. every oh gosh anniversaries birthday like crazy <laughs> august is a crazy month for us um i will never forget so I'm, I'm fairly newly sober both of us are really um we had just moved back to dallas and kind of trying to get our stuff together um i had taken on i'd gotten a new sponsor because i had moved here um and so um, I just called my sponsor. I was on my way home from work, or I was actually on my way to a meeting from work. Called my sponsor. Everything's going peachy. I'll see you at the meeting. I hang up the phone. I call her and I to tell her happy birthday. I said, uh, hey, happy birthday. And she said, I'm pregnant. 
<laughs> and uh yeah so that would that was uh that's a big deal because we're we're not yet married we're still both fairly new in sobriety i mean we we had some time behind us but but you know a year just over a year and a year and a half and uh found out she was pregnant mm-hmm. and um great i mean you know it is what it is we're god's got this thing right so we 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 were we were pumped we were excited um we went in at one point for uh, a sonogram Mm -hmm. and um when we went in for the sonogram there was a little bit of confusion they couldn't quite figure out what it was anyways long long and short of it was um they they felt like there might be some complications with the baby and so um we went back in for a second sonogram and then they 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 wanted they they had some theories about it long and short was that they they had some theories wanted to do some more testing all that stuff um had originally um pre-diagnosed our unborn child with with a condition called either trisomy 13 or trisomy 18 um chromosomal disorders both of which are essentially terminal um not a very long lifespan really potential nine-month lifespan so we're new in sobriety. We're not wow. yet married. We're both young. I mean, I'm 23. She's 25 at the time. We were we were babies, and we're preparing for this. You know, our um, my my youth pastor, who is uh, he and I are still very close to this day, and um, we knew that he was going to marry us, and we were seeking counsel as far as the baby is concerned too. So we're having all these discussions with with preachers and. Just, just all kinds of stuff. Um, anywho, we um, turns out he did not have either one of those. He is he's eighteen years old and alive and well today. Um, but he was born with with several um, conditions, and and I, I will just share because I think this is a big part of my story. Mm-hmm. Is um, that was a massive turning point in my sobriety uh, because I found out that that my child was going to be disabled. My firstborn child was going to be disabled. And I, um, I, I almost instantaneously broke from the program. I stopped going to meetings. Really, I, I denounced God. I was, I was done. So you were? Was you? Was you mad? Angry? I was, I, it was. It was nothing but anger. I was. I was absolutely. And I think for the first time in my life, and I don't know that this justifies it. I wasn't. I wasn't on a pity pot for myself. I was angry for him. I I didn't understand how she and I could be trying to get our lives together. And based on all of the the chaos and destruction that I had, I had caused, I I felt in in people's lives and I was trying to do the right thing. And she was trying to do the right thing. And why not, why not punish us? It was almost felt like why punish him? Why why do this to this child? And I, I, I denounced God. I was done. I was done with God. I was done with you people. I was done with AA. I stopped going to meetings. Um, I, I went. I went through a, a massive um, anger spell. It was. Uh, it was. Sadly, it was very, very necessary. I believe for my recovery and very, very dangerous. Um, you know, I, guys that I work with today, I, I, I'm very clear to share that part of my story with them because mm-hmm. it was. It was a very tough time. I. I I can say that I know um, because um, I, I do believe that God speaks to me, and 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 I know for a fact that if if my wife 
um, had not stayed very, very close to the program. She's, she's one of the best program people I've ever met. If she would have not stayed close there, I, I, I may, we wouldn't have made it. There's no doubt. And, and I probably, I would have jumped ship and probably been dead by now. There, there's no doubt. So that, that was a big deal. Um, but kind of to put this in perspective, mm-hmm. like you said, uh, you just recently, I believe you said you took him to college. I took right? him to college. Yeah. So right. my, my, the, the cool part, that's a, that's a four hour story in right. and of itself, but, <laughs> but Christian is his name. That's my, my eldest son. Um, he was, he was born, uh, severely disabled. They, they told us that he would probably never walk. Um, he, he was in wheelchair, uh, for a, a large part of his young life. He's had multiple surgeries. Um, but I am, I am proud to announce that uh, he actually is going to college in Colorado on a partial wrestling scholarship. So he is quite an accomplished wrestler. Um, very cool deal. He's going to a That's little great. D2 school. Yeah. Out in Grand Junction, Colorado. Yeah. And, uh, he starts class actually in two days, uh, from this recording and, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's made the wrestling team. So he's, he, shortest version possible he found it in you know he was never able to compete never because of his his situation um but uh started wrestling just in high school just four years ago and is i don't want to say he's a phenom because he's definitely very beatable but he's he's pretty fantastic it's a it's a crazy (laughs) miracle and uh he went out he went out and out to colorado and tried out for one of the coaches at, at one of their wrestling camps and got a got a call from personal call from the head coach on his cell phone two days after he got home from camp and, and offered him a spot on the team. So oh, he is in Colorado right now. Very nice. But yeah. And, and it, you know, I went back my father was a teacher. His, his that's all, that's what he wants to do. My son wants to be a high school history teacher and a wrestling coach. Oh, so wow. That's he's going to school for history and, and uh, getting his education degree. God works in mysterious it's, ways. It's does as, he as not? bizarre as it gets. Yep. <laughs> he's a funny dude. Like I say, so yeah. All right. So, and then you have another son. Correct? I do. We have, we have, have a almost nine-year-old um physically 100 percent. he's he's wild man but yeah no no issues there we uh we decided our our eldest took required so much time uh, and effort and energy um that we were we were not going to do it again and then Somewhere down the road, as alcoholics do, my wife said when when our oldest was about eight and a half, she said, "I want another baby." So, oh, wow! By golly, we did it. So, yeah. so we have two, and he's 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 crazy, but he's he's fun, man. He's a, he's a blast. Yeah, that's great. He's yeah. giving you a run for your money. Oh, there, there's huh? no doubt. Yeah, he's uh, it's, what he's supposed to do. It's going to be very interesting having just him. Yeah, yeah. but you know, so I'll, I'll share this because I think it's it's a massive part um, as far as the recovery side is concerned is you know i i i had this you, you talked about how god works in, in mysterious everything every miracle that i've ever had has been in the rearview mirror right i mean i denounced god i was so how dare you do this to this child this 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 disabled child and do you know make him disabled so to speak and that that was how i felt uh and i had really gotten away from the the program john and and it was uh I just I, w- I wasn't doing meetings. I wasn't doing I wasn't doing anything. And and I uh, I credit there. There's a guy that that's still a very close friend of mine that that's still in the program. And he started telling me about this little step study um, that a friend of ours, David G, was doing. And he said, "Man, it's just on Saturdays. It's one." He's like, "You don't have to start going back to meetings. Just maybe go back to this meeting with me." 
and uh, just go on Saturdays. I go. I'm, I kind of have to. David's my sponsor. He's making me go, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was like, fine, I'll, I'll go to one meeting. This is stupid. But I'll go to one <laughs> meeting, you know. I, I got I'm not drinking. I'm fine, right? Um, I, I credit that guy. Um, can I use his name? Yeah. Bryce is his name. Yeah. Still a very close friend. Oh, yeah, Bryce. Yeah, Bryce. Yeah, H. he's in uh, He's in Colorado. Colorado now. Yeah. You're right. So Bryce talked me into going back to a meeting. Um, and I did, I went, I went back to this little step study with David G and it, it, I don't want to make it like it was just all that, but, but, you know, to keep this, the story short is it, it, I credit it with saving my life. I went back there and I, and I refound my purpose. I understood. And, you know, I say all that to say, I would never ask for, uh, the, the disabilities or any of that, but I believe, uh, you know, my wife, Jen and I, we talk about this all the time. 99% of what happens in our life is is because of sobriety and because of God and because of opportunity and the the doors and the people and the opportunities and all of that that has been opened because of Christian situation right it's it's unbelievable i mean i again that's a whole nother 4 hour story right. but we've met countless people by happenstance that are in the program because my son is disabled. We have been to places all over the world by chance because of that, of the disability, you know, it's, it's not something that you use and abuse, but it's, you look at these things and the opportunity. I, I was never a wrestler. My father was never a wrestler. We were baseball players. You know, we were tall, lanky dudes. And, and, and my son is that way, but because of his situation, you know, Man plans and God laughs, right? We, that's what I say all the time. And I, I had this plan for my children. My children were going to grow up, and they were going to be baseball players, and they were going to go to university, and they were going they were going to do all these things that I didn't do. Right. And they're and and what's crazy is, I I took this opportunity in my life to to say, how dare you do this to me and to him, God? How dare you do this when I broke off from the program? And now all of those things that I wanted and for my children or at least for my firstborn so far are coming true because of what happened. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's sobriety is, is the weirdest thing to me because we, we, I, at times that time in particular, I treated it like almost like a privilege. I treated it like a privilege and I treated it like, um, I forgot. I, I just, I just flat forgot what it was about. Right. And, and when Bryce took me back to that meeting and, and, and started me back on the program and, and it, it kicked off this, this phenomenon of craving for something better and bigger. Right. And, um, you know, today I, today I, I, I sponsor guys. I'm back in, I mean, I've, I've been back in the program for some time, but I took, I took a, I don't ask my wife or I, it's a different number, but (laughs) a long hiatus. I took too long of a hiatus from that. And thank God I didn't drink mm-hmm. um, through all of that. And I, and I tell people all the time, especially guys that I work with is I probably should have, mm-hmm. I probably should have because I was in a horrible mental, spiritual, emotional, physical, everything, every state I could possibly be in was bad. Mm-hmm. And I was literally just going through the motions and what I thought I was fighting for, which was this, this poor child I was I was wreaking new havoc on that. Right. I was I was not a good father. I was not a good husband. You know, I um 
I just wasn't there. I, w- I showed up every day. I ate dinner with the family. I did what I was supposed to do, mm-hmm. but I wasn't there um, because without the program, I, I don't, I'm no good without this program. I need one of, I need one of two solutions and that's alcohol or the program. Right. And, and alcohol for me just leads to the more of that chaos, you know? <laughs> and so it's, it's uh, I think, I think Christian's a huge part of my story and, and his situation is massive and it, and it, I thank God every day. This is a weird thing to say, but I thank God every day for his situation because it helps me remember. Right. Yeah. God bless you. <laughs> that is fantastic, Dave. All right. So we, uh, we've come to the end of our time. Uh, I have enjoyed this. I hope you did as well. I did. Thank you. Uh, um, we uh, just keep in mind, folks, that we welcome uh, your feedback. Uh, you can reach out to us uh, really in a couple of different ways. Go to the... Uh, soberspeak.com website click on the contact us tab and you can contact us actually a couple different ways you can email us at feedback at soberspeak.com or you can actually leave a voice message just look for the uh, little microphone on the website Uh, now you can't go over 90 seconds right so don't come to us with a dissertation but you can leave a voicemail there uh, let us give us any sort of feedback that you would like. And if it's PG rated, I can actually uh, play it on the podcast. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and end here with a uh, something from uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This is on page 164 of the big book. It's the actual last two paragraphs. The It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, such as Dave and myself, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. Dave, thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks, John. Goodbye. Goodbye.